Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Real Talk, a movie podcast. We are your go-to source for ratings and recommendations of past and present films. I am your host, Wes Jones, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, this is Tommy, podcasting straight from Nashville, Tennessee. The movie buddy Conway, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. What's up, Real Talk community? I feel like every time we record an episode now, I'm like, hey, we're back. It's been a while, but it has. It's been like five weeks, I think, since we recorded last. But uh, Real Talk, we're still here. We're we're still kicking. We're still putting out some content every once in a while. And I've been asked, when are we releasing this episode? Several times by our listeners. So uh, we're here. We are recording an episode dedicated to The Dark Knight which is kind of funny because it was supposed to be episode three of our summer blockbuster series. It is now uh, the middle of November. It's going to be 19 degrees here where we live in our from our area here in Bowling Green, Kentucky uh, this weekend. So uh, it's kind of funny to be talking about a summer blockbuster series and it being so cold outside. But without further ado, let's let's bring T-Man in. Uh, T-Man. Just what's been going on? What have you been up to these last five weeks? Are you ready to talk about the Dark Knight? Just just hit me with whatever you got. Hey, Wes. Yeah, man. Glad to be on here. I've missed recording our episodes. I've had fans come up to me also, like you're saying, hey, where is the episode at? And when I told them, though, I was like, you didn't listen closely enough. We didn't say summer movie series. We said Indian mo- summer movie series. So... Uh. This is the late fall movie series. <laughs> okay, there we go. There you I, go. I, I get it, I, I, and I'm 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 gonna go with that too. I think that's I think right, that's there great. We go. You get it, but you're like, man, that joke was bad. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Even though it's been a few weeks, we're still super excited about recording this episode. You know, this has been an episode that we've all looked forward to because we all love, uh, you know, this movie, and I've been looking forward to it personally so much. This is, I would say when I talk to people about this this podcast, this is the movie they talk about the most. When are you going to cover it? Uh-huh. So I'm excited to cover The Dark Knight Rises. I'm so happy to do it. What? It's going to be great. I want to talk no. about things a lot, and we're ready to roll. What's the issue? No, I think I I don't know if you 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 had checked our thread very well. That we I specifically left Rises off. I added Rises back in. <laughs> well, I would not have been here tonight. And you, you know who else is super was super excited about this episode too? Who? Gabe. Uh, Gabe was excited. That is true. He's so excited that he's not here. Gabe said, "You guys take care of it." Well, here's the thing, was we actually did that Batman episode uh, like maybe six months ago, uh-huh. uh, and. I guess he got all of his Batman thoughts out in that episode. He was like, you guys just take it from here. Yeah, take it. I've, I'm, I'm batman out. You guys take it from here. And, uh, it was either that, or maybe he saw where you edited in rises and he, and I, and he skipped out, which I, I don't blame. That, him. that is true too. He did. <laughs> I did tell him that I'm going to do my vein voice. As soon as we actually get his movie, <laughs> I'm going to do the vein, the Bane voice, the entire episode. I'll be on an episode just to hear that. <laughs> it's it's a pretty bad uh, impersonation. I'll be honest with you. 
we didn't want to just go just, you know, me and T-Man all night. That could even be awkward. We don't know. So we had to have that, that third, that third guy jump in here with us. But it's been, it's been a long road, T-Man. I think you can attest to this. We we literally invited him on back in August. We started planning the episode in September, dragging our feet. I don't know what the heck's going on, but I'm surprised that he actually joined us tonight. Well, here's the thing, Wes. When we invite people on the episodes, on the podcast, we don't want somebody who's just going to be like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. We want somebody with dedication. We want somebody <laughs> who we know is in for the long haul. So we drag them out for several months, just making sure that they're dedicated to real talk. And you know what? He proved us that he is. It's it's like I always say, you either die hero or you live long enough to eventually make it on an episode of Real Talk. <laughs> exactly. You, that's, that's the, that should be in the movie, not actually. <laughs> well, without further ado, let, let's get Trey in here. Uh, we got Trey Whetstone from uh, Screaming Through the Ages podcast. We're seriously very excited to have him. He's uh, been interacting with Real Talk for a while now. I know that he's he's been a listener of our show, but he's also an awesome awesome podcaster himself. Uh, Screaming Through the Ages really encourage any of our listeners, especially if you love horror, go check that podcast out. He does very in-depth looks at different aspects of horror. He recently did a two-part series on the history of Giallos. He's covered Kaju. I think that's how you say that. And then he's got five episodes so far on Alfred Hitchcock, and I believe it was just his early years. So um, that's the type of stuff that he's doing. He's just kind of doing his own thing and and recording when he can and, and recording interesting shows. So Real Talk is proud to welcome Trey. Trey, jump in here, man. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And it's uh, you know been a long time coming, but I'm finally thankful to be on here to talk about Batman and Robin. <laughs> uh, now I probably would do that episode because that would make a. I don't even. I don't even know what category. I was about to say that could be on our guilty pleasure series, but I. I know it's not. There's no pleasure in it aside from laughing at it. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I appreciate the shout out there, Wes. And uh, yeah, you are correct. It was just the early Alfred Hitchcock so far, but part two coming at some point awesome. when I get to it. That sounds awesome. I love Hitchcock, so I've got to listen to those episodes. Those early ones are are very underrated in a lot of ways. And I just got to ask, is Batman and Robin, is that the one where Batman drives through to get French fries at McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe so. You know, that's how you distinguish them. It's the McDonald's drive through and then the one with Seal in it. That's how you distinguish those two <laughs> movies, right? Yes, that's how you do it. Man, that's when Batman movies were good. I don't know what happened to them. Yeah, they got all serious. <laughs> they got serious. Bring them back to where they were. Remember when uh, Chris O'Donnell like dances or whatever he does in that laundry room? Oh man, <laughs> yes. And he tends to rave. And he goes he to a rave. rave. <laughs> all right, it's the Batman again. We're we're here to talk about uh, the Dark Knight. It won the vote, and there really wasn't a lot of suspense to that. I think. All of us assumed that the Dark Knight was going to win the best summer blockbuster of the 2000s, and it, it did with flying colors. There was not even really another movie that was kind of close in the vote. So that's why we're doing this episode. I think T-Man, and maybe we can share it at the end of the, the podcast tonight, just a, like a little bit of a cliffhanger. I think he's got something in the works this year for Christmas that we're excited about doing. 
So maybe I can get Team Man to, to tell you what we're going to be doing for our Christmas episode this year. Final thing I want to do before we really get into the Dark Knight is uh, I do want to apologize to the listeners. We did not do a Halloween episode this year. We did go to Scarefest, probably talk about that on one of our reviewing the news, just a little bit about our experience there this year. But we didn't do a, a Scarefest episode. We didn't do a, we skipped Halloween. There's just been so much going on, but we'll eventually get the the ship righted and, and, and pump a few more episodes out. But uh, we are planning on doing our Christmas episode, and I really like T-Man's idea for it. So, all right, without further ado, let's get in and talk a little bit about I'm just going to say it, Christopher Nolan's masterpiece, The Dark Knight. And so how the movie came about, Warner Brothers immediately wanted a sequel as soon as Batman Begins ended. You know, it was a successful movie. It kind of, uh, you know, we were joking earlier about uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which not only put Batman films kind of off the track, it kind of really put superhero movies off the track for a little bit but you know batman begins and off the success of the spider-man movies just kind of made comic book films good again and and you guys jump in anytime you want if you've got anything to say on any of that but chris nolan he hadn't worked on a sequel before and he'd really not intended on on making one during the filming of batman begins he had discussed some ideas with writer david s goyer he really never knew if he would be involved or didn't really think about being involved in a sequel until until Warner Brothers, you know, immediately started pushing for it. The weird thing about that, I think in Batman Begins, there's that um, Joker calling card at the end. It's funny mm-hmm. to know that he didn't even have any intention of doing a sequel when he made that. It was just, you know, throwing it in there. Which is kind of strange because, like, that's like the best part of that movie. I mean, I like that movie, but... That movie at the very end, I think, got everybody so excited for the sequel. Just so to think that like it wasn't planned is kind of interesting. It's just kind of uh, lucky that they planned to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, really, how how the Dark Knight started to come together is Nolan. Some of those ideas he had discussed with David S. Goyer, they started, of course, ironing them out. Really, what they were trying to do with the film and want to get your guys take on this as well is they were wanting to explore the theme of escalation and the idea that Batman's extraordinary efforts to combat crimes, that that would lead to escalation by the criminals. They had that kind of attracted the Joker to it. And so they're really using terrorism as, as a weapon. And I plagiarized that just a little bit. But again, after I read that, I was like, you know, that that's kind of exactly what our lawmakers and our military encounter today is kind of that is that theme of how do you combat such large criminal activity? Well, that's like the age old comic book thing, right? Is like they've always started with, you know, Batman starting with Falcone or whatever and taking on the crime mobs. And then you clean up the crime syndicates and then you get these supervillains essentially is what it what it morphs into. It's interesting that when they were making this film, they were kind of basing it not on the classic Batman stories, but the Frank Miller stuff um, mm-hmm. as far as like the Dark Knight Returns. And then uh, even in the 90s from the uh, the long Halloween. So they were doing it on those grittier Batman stories. And you, I mean, you can tell that if you watch Begins, too. It's definitely a more grounded or uh, world. Sorry. And just trying to get 
you know, a seriousness to the character, whereas maybe the films in the, you know, 89 and the 90s weren't as serious. Yeah, and and he also, uh, I believe the it's more specific to the Joker. You know, they they use the killing joke as well. You know, was another story that really yeah, influenced yeah. The, the the story in the film. T-Man, what do you think? Did you are you drawing any par- parallels to that theme that they went with? And I don't know why it was just kind of popping into my head about like what our military and our country is kind of facing abroad. Yeah, no, I think it's a great analogy, and it's something that I read about, too, when looking at, you know, kind of researching this movie. And watching the movie, it really does have that escalation pattern that it starts out that, you know, they're just facing the criminals, and then the Joker gets involved, and he escalates. It keeps escalating, and it shows the cost of that escalation. And I think it's true to real life, just like you said, Wes, and Trey, you said around, you know, you could look at any military conflict throughout history there's escalation involved. And a lot of times maybe what the war ends up being is not what they originally wanted it to be. And I think the movie does a good job of showing how easy it is to escalate these type of situations. It's kind of a a tit for tat, I guess you could say, you know, one guy side does one thing. What are you going to do? Either you're going to either take it or lay down your arms or whatever it may be, or you're going to escalate and that's what happens. And I think this movie is a great example of any type of escalation in a violent scenario and also the cost of that escalation, not only to maybe the surrounding society, but also to the people doing it, like the cost on Batman, you mm-hmm. know, costs. he takes a lot and he ultimately has to become the bad guy just to kind of resolve this situation. No, that that's a great point. And, um, you know, you talk about with that ex- escalation comes casualties. Think about thing really starts to fall down around a Batman, like the good that he's trying to do. You know, he loses the love of his life. You've got Harvey Dent, who supposed to be kind of the 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 white knight, you know, Gotham's hero. And it's, you know, badly burned and the Joker turns on him and then you have you know the political leaders of the town they're being poisoned and killed you have you know cops being kidnapped by the joker and they film videos uh, of them right before the their execution the hostage situation out on the boat it's just like that attacking evil and the crime of the city that escalation that happens there's also a ton of casualties along the way you know it's kind of like you in order to make scrambled eggs, you break a few eggs kind of thing or whatever that saying is. That was kind of a buddyism, but uh, that was in honor of Gabe. But you you see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> Got to have some buddyism. You went up. <laughs> no, I think it's a, it's a good point that this type of stuff, what Joker wants to do is that chaos. And he can do that through escalation. So I think mm-hmm. that's a, a good example of why that escalation is needed. And the movie does such a good job of escalating. And one great thing about the movie, I think, is that even though it keeps escalating, somehow you never, it's a long movie, each escalation, like, you get even more drawn into it. You know, some movies, especially nowadays, I feel like a lot of these movies are so long. I wish, I know you can agree with this, are so (laughs) long that they can lose kind of the momentum. But this is one of the rare movies that's, you know, two and a half hours long that, just gets better and better and better throughout its run. Yeah, and I can attest to that, T-Man, as someone who had just saw um, 
Wakanda forever. Just movies are too long, but <laughs> in general, but something like the dark Knight, just, it's like yeah. you're saying, it just holds right. your attention the whole way through. Yeah. Yeah. Just, hey, just started to rub. I was like, you can't, we can't see West right now, but I know he's nodding his head with Trey said. Are- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, oh. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but maybe that comes into play on how it affects things. But yeah, it's like you said, T man, it just, it escalates so perfectly. And, one thing after the other, you're never bored. You're never like, oh, they just keep they're jumping the shark or they're doing anything like that. It keeps you enthralled the whole way through the conflict, even as things get crazy and over the top. Get hung up on on words on our show and we just say them over and over throughout the episode. So the, the word of this podcast is escalation. But uh, as as the film hey, escalates, escal- it- escalate the episode. Let's go. That's right. We're, <laughs> we're escalating it right now how the movie ends and then you get that line where it says you got commissioner gordon speaking to his son over it not our hero he's a silent guardian a watchful protector a dark night and then the credits come up and the music hits and everything and it's just like it blows the top off of of the film you know with the excitement because it's been so tense in the build-up and then they just end it so perfectly with what I what I think best ending for a superhero movie. And I just love that bit of dialogue there as he's running. Yeah. And it's kind of like there at the end, he finally gets his due in this movie. And he, we talk about all the time, this dark middle chapter in these trilogies. This is the only one out of the trilogy where Batman doesn't really get an arc. We're focused on the Joker's arc. We're focused on Harvey Dent's arc. Mm-hmm. But he gets he grows as a character and begins. He grows as a character and rises. This one, he's kind of just keeping up, uh, treading water, trying to keep up with all this stuff. And then finally, at the end, we get, you know, what's going to happen or foreshadowing, you know, what's what he's going to turn into. And I think that's such a great moment there at the end. Mm hmm. All right, so we'll move along through the episode here just a little bit. And I know one of the things that that T-Man really wanted to discuss, and I, I think it's a it's a great topic, is, and we can kind of look at this threefold. But why don't why don't we start out with what movies kind of pers- came before The Dark Knight that really influenced the film and and influenced Nolan in making the films? Like, what are what are some of those those films that you could see? I know there's an obvious one that we definitely want to talk about, but watching the movie, what what other movies did did you pick up on? Well, Wes, I think the the obvious one I think you're referring to is Michael Mann's Heat. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think that's. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Christopher Nolan has ever actually said that, but I feel like he or David S. Goyer, the co-writer, did or somebody did that. They really were influenced by Heat. And it's so obvious that it is just because of even the opening scene in the bank heist is literally like a replica of Heat's bank heist. Yeah. But just yep. the, the how the city looks, the crime drama aspect, the plots aren't similar. The plots are totally different. But just the feel of it, the aesthetic, I don't know, feel of the movie, the sheen of the cinematography, the 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 direction, it just to me when I'm watching it. It's like this is truly a comic book version of Heat in a way. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of incredible how much Christopher Nolan took from Heat. And I would love to hear – it would be cool if you just hear Michael Mann and Christopher Nolan talking about their two movies together. I bet they mm-hmm. can have a lot of 
conversations about that. So that's the one that pops off the screen to me. I don't know if you guys have others that really kind of pop to you. One thing I was gonna I was gonna mention there with your your heat comparison is the climax of the action of the movie takes ple- takes place on the streets of Chicago. Well, mm-hmm. what about Heat's climax where it takes place, the action on the streets of Chicago, where they're literally running down the streets with those huge machine guns and that big gun battle, you know, back and forth chasing one another. The, the action sequences are different. However, they still have a similar feel to me. They absolutely do. Now, I'll just have to correct you one thing. It's L.A. and Heat. Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, yes. But I see your point. You're, I think it doesn't really matter the cities. I think your point you're going for is that basically like the action set pieces are very similar and they feel yeah. very similar. And, I, and here's the thing. While Heat is is a very L.A. movie, Michael Mann went for that. In, in Dark Knight, it's not like Christopher Nolan was like, this is a Chicago movie. He was just saying this is, I mean, it's Gotham City, basically. So it could be in the same city as Heat, basically. I think that's you could infer that. And we've talked about that before. It definitely does feel very Chicago. And I don't I don't know why I thought thinking Heat was was there, too. It's obviously not. But, uh, yeah, that that big street battle that that both of them, both of the movies have. I mean, that those are the scenes that and we'll talk about this later with the, the best scenes. But, I mean, those are those are the scenes that everybody loves, you know, those those sequences from both films. And Wes, one final thing, Trina, you you want you got something you want to say too, real quick. But just let me final thought on this around the Chicago piece. I think one thing that I notice about this movie that I think makes it so great, and maybe I don't think at the time it, it felt as as big now as or then as it does now because of the comic book movies we get now, which are so CGI influenced. And I like many of them, yeah. but. They literally look like a video game nowadays. They Mm -hmm. feel like a video game. And this movie does not feel that way at all. It feels natural. It feels like you can, it's a real city. Like that's such a great idea that Nolan had was filming it in Chicago, which has just that amazing downtown, is that it just feels so real. And it's just so rare. And I wish, you know, even though this movie influenced so many movies, I wish that. I wish that was one thing it influenced more movies to yeah. actually film in cities. Yeah, and I, I'll just echo what you guys are saying. It's it absolutely feels much grittier and much more real. I think a lot of that has to do with this is this is a crime film at its heart, right? I think we get that now with a lot of superhero films, as they are a superhero film is the big umbrella, but underneath they have like a specific thing they're going for a lot of the times. And I think this is first and foremost a crime film. I think you can go back even to the you could probably see a little bit of like the Godfather and any of that stuff in here. It's just it's first and foremost a crime film that just happens to have a superhero like Batman. And I think Batman's one of the only superheroes you could probably get away with this type. I don't know if it's necessarily I mean, it's got a little bit of the film noir stuff in it. As Batman, you know, it's a heavy influence on Batman, but I think Heat is spot on, and I think just crime movies in general influence this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that uh, Nolan was, he's a really big fan of a 1977 film, and if either of you have seen it, I'd love to hear your take, but I've not seen this one, but I'm going to be checking it out now. Uh, I didn't realize he was such a fan of it, but it's called Black Sunday, and it was a 77 political thriller, and apparently that really influenced Dean more so on the Dark Knight Rises, but he said that there are 
elements of that movie as well in The Dark Knight. Wes, is that the one I'm trying to think? Is that the one where they've got like the the blip or something and they're trying to blow up the Super Bowl? Yeah, I believe that was the, yeah. the screenshot. It looked like that they were they yeah. were in that. Yes, I've seen it. It it's been many years and I've only seen it once. I did remember it was good. It's very 70s like thriller kind of like it's kind of like a thriller and disaster movie. So that's very interesting that he was influenced by that one. I would definitely say check it out. It's um, good. Bruce Darn. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that one, but I am familiar with it. The the poster has that like to your point was the poster has that like big like blip on the cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh it was a John Frankenheimer film. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Bruce Bruce Stern was in it. But I just made a note of it. I was like, okay, I I've gotta I've gotta see this movie. Uh, since it was such a big influence. And again, he said more so on Rises, but, you know, he was thinking about the movie a little bit with with The Dark Knight and then really leaned into it more with Rises. I think, yeah, and I think it's probably influenced just from the terroristic aspect. That's probably a big aspect of it because, you know, it's really about terrorists taking trying to blow up the Super Bowl, and I believe that's the, the plot. And so mm-hmm. I think... For our, all my Dark Knight Rises fans out there, <laughs> people didn't want me to do it tonight. We'll do an episode. We might do a three-part episode. It might just be me doing a Bane voice the entire time. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely going to help our our audience grow. So uh, let's let's get that. In the works. <laughs> I agree. I agree. The other movie I would kind of throw out there, and it's not so much because it was an influence on the film itself, but apparently Heath Ledger drew some influence from Michael McDowell's Alex from A Clockwork Orange. And it was more so with the facial expressions that mm. that Alex has throughout the the movie. Uh, not so much when he's in dialogue, but, you know, there's a lot of scenes of them just standing staring. around, <laughs> sitting around, staring, you know, yeah. walking with... Anyway, that was apparently a little bit of a inspiration. Uh, inspiration for the for the Joker, which I thought was was I could see that, yeah, pretty neat. Yeah, same tone with those movies too. Very much brutal and gritty. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what do you guys feel are are the movie industry in general, and then the comic book film industry? What impact do you think that The Dark Knight had on each of those? Well, I think one thing, and we already talked about, it, is the length. I mean. This and Batman Begins were really long, and I don't think I'm trying to think back those early X-Men and Spider-Man movies and Blade and stuff like that. I don't think they were that long. And now we're getting as a standard almost in superhero movies, you know, two and a half hours, almost three hours long with some of them. And I think that's a big influence on it, first and foremost. Um, I'll let you guys talk about anything else but and chime back in. But mm-hmm. I agree. It kind of showed people that those types of films it's a little bit different in the fact that the dark knight is is really more of like an adult drama in some regards uh compared to Mm -hmm. you know like the like the marvel films but at the same point in time marvel still leans into some serious subjects with some of their movies as well and i think that this movie really kind of put a staple on that that today's audience the more modern audience is very much into seemingly real realistic uh, more grittier things that adults can can really enjoy that aren't so cartoonish and, and popcorn as some of the 
the late nineties or early two thousand superhero movies that they did. Yeah, and I, I agree with both of you all. I think, you know, one thing that the Dark Knight the Dark Knight really did for comic book movies is basically kind of what we've already talked about. It made comic book movies into genre films. So nowadays I think most comic book movies aren't just comic book movies. They are comic book movie in a heist genre. It's a comic book movie in a mm-hmm. coming of age genre. It's a comic movie in so and so. This is the comic book movie as a crime drama. Mm-hmm. So I really think this is the movie that kind of kickstarted that. Because if you think about the ones before then, they, we'd got some good comic movies, but they were like comic book movies. They feel like comic book movies. Yes. This changed it into their like. Let's take comic movies into their own genre, and it it was so successful. I would argue it literally killed all the other genres. <laughs> you just get comic movies as those genres. Like, just think back to yep. the 80s, 90s, 70s. You would get actual crime dramas. We just talked about Heat. You would get actual coming of age films, etc. No, nowadays you just get the comic book version of that. Like, a perfect example. And you guys, I really want to hear your thoughts on all this, but I'll kind of end it with this. A perfect example of this is the new The Batman movie. Mm-hmm. So The Batman movie, it's really good. I really liked it. But what is that movie really? It is a serial killer movie. It is Seven. It is yeah. Silence of the Lambs. It is Zodiac in a comic book version. So mm-hmm. that's what we get. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, T-Man. I'm so- it's it's almost you got to think and I hear this question come up all the time. When was the last time you got a really good comedy out of a studio? When was the last time like we don't get these adult oriented dramas anymore? Instead, we get superhero stuff that's put in whatever genre. I mean, when we get stuff like West Side Story or The Last Duel, those are few and far between. We don't get a lot of that anymore. It's I agree with you 100 percent. I think it's very much overtaking and they are in their own little genres or subgenres when these movies are coming out. Like you look at Ant-Man and that's like the crime heist thriller with a little bit of comedy and stuff thrown in there. And that's a comedy director who did that movie. And yeah, it's absolutely taken over. I feel echo y'all's thoughts. I think that was a, a great point and I definitely can see it. And I think my question back to y'all is, do we think that that's good or bad for the industry? I'm on the side where I kind of don't like it as much. What do you guys think? No, I mean, I enjoy comic book movies as a whole, but I like to get a lot of variety. And I think we do get a decent amount of, and Wes, I know you and I are a lot in the horror genre, and I think we get a lot of variety there. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about mainstream movies that are coming out of studios, I mean, that's almost all that consumes a lot of the release calendar. Now when we've got, you know, Warner brothers and Disney putting out three, four, five superhero movies a year in their big tent poles. Mm-hmm. Um, I love when we get something different something else. Um, even like a top gun Maverick was a great story from this year. I mean, that's a established franchise and it's coming from a studio, but it's something that did huge business and it's not a, superhero genre movie so i think it i think you can feel that fatigue a lot and i think hopefully that starts showing in the box office but who knows mm-hmm. yeah no. I, no i think you're exactly right trey was you too 
is I think it's been really bad for the industry. And The Dark Knight, to me, is is a perfect example of a movie that set off, that kind of changed movie culture, even though it didn't mean to, and even though it's not, it shouldn't be blamed for it. Jaws is another perfect example of that. Jaws changed movie culture by so-called Invading the Summer Blockbuster. It didn't mean to do that, and it's a classic. But what it created, you could argue, hurt the industry, hurt the art form. And I think The Dark Knight is a similar thing, where... It's a classic unto itself, but what it kind of created really has hurt the industry in a lot of ways. Because now, what we're talking about, we only get those genre films in the comic book form. And at the end of the day, they're still comic book movies. So we're not really getting what we want. What we really want is heat. We really want another heat. Mm -hmm. We don't want a fake version of that. And so <laughs> I've always been very kind of honest about my opinions on comic book movies. I enjoy them, but I enjoy them as comic book movies. It doesn't preclude me from the fact of wanting these other types of movies. I want both. But now we're only getting one type of thing. And I think it's really hurt the industry uh, in general. Yeah, and I don't want to go all Scorsese on this, but <laughs> it, it definitely you, you feel it. We invite you on in this. Yeah, you're. I can see it. You are like Scorsese in this. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I I just think it's just crazy the impact it's had and how I was just doing this for an episode the other day. But we've got about half. And I know some of this probably has to do with coming out of COVID and all that. But we've only got about half the amount of movies that came out this year that came out in like 2019. And we're even lagging behind the last couple years, I think. So it's almost like stuff's drying up. If these adult-oriented films, there's a lot of those that are good and solid. Some of them don't even make it to theaters, and then other ones just get kind of trampled underfoot by whenever release date they have or whatever. I, I'm just hoping we see some kind of shift because I'm missing the creativity from a studio level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and that's where I think why you're getting tons of, of directors now. It's not just Scorsese; like it's pretty much every major A-list director. Is, has come out against comic book movies lately. Basically, yeah, saying, I think it was Tarantino recently. Yeah, he said they're yeah he doesn't like them, and I can understand what they're saying is they have kind of uh, made all movie like it's kind of made us all juvenile in a way. That's kind of the best way I can describe it. It's like preconditioned us to now just want juvenile films. Mm-hmm. And we won't get those adult films anymore. Now, you could say, well, that type of stuff has gone to TV or independent films, etc. But really, I think what we're missing in today's movie culture is that mid-studio budget, mainstream adult fare. And I really think if, if the studios made them again, people would come. It's kind of like, is it a chicken or egg thing? Is it because the studios aren't making them or is it because people aren't coming? I really honestly believe if they started making them and making them consistently and making them good with stars, people would come. Mm-hmm. But man, this is a whole conversation that we could have a whole episode. It's a great conversation. It is. And it's a good conversation to have around this movie because this is, I think you could argue this is really the origin of what we're now seeing. Yeah. I yeah think it, it can't be understated. Also the effect that it, the trajectory it sent, um, DC films on at Warner Brothers because they are all became dark and dour and they were kind of following that formula that we got in 
in this movie. I mean, and whether that, you know, now they're at a point where they're trying to course correct and they did something great like the uh, that new Suicide Squad movie from last year, which was um, kind of a breath of fresh air being weird and comedic and things like that. But it, it kind of set the tone for that whole, you know, string of movies as well. That's and I've uh, not got much into those movies. Uh, I've not liked really any that I've that I've seen. So I'm not the best to comment on the the Warner Brothers films, uh, superhero films after this, or the DC comic films after this. But uh, yeah, they're just not my cup of tea. Well, you should be like, man, all Scorsese before Scorsese was even. <laughs> <laughs> I think before Scorsese was. Um, just way younger, way less talented, and way less rich. But other than that, yeah, I've Scorsese. <laughs> Scorsese. You have to think right. Scorsese was a Slytherin too. Uh, it could definitely could, could be a Slytherin. I think you are Slytherin, <laughs> but I think you are taller than him. So that. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. sure. Probably sitting down. Sitting down. He's, he's not super tall. <laughs> but we love we love Scorsese, and he oh, yeah, is, uh, he's amazing. Awesome. Well, no, I think that was a good uh, discussion point um, uh, to have. So, Timon, uh, nice work on brainstorming that particular topic tonight. So, I, I really love where that conversation went. A few other things that we that we want to discuss with with the movie, and I think we got to talk just a little bit about the performances uh, all around uh, in the film. Uh, obviously, starting with with Heath Ledger. There's been so much about his performance and his posthumous Academy Award and, you know, all the stuff that's out there about him trying to get into the Joker character and the whole thing with Jack Nicholson where Jack Nicholson, they say, told him that that character will drive you mad. All this all this kind of stuff. But, you know, unfortunately, we did lose a generational talent on January 22nd of 2008. And I know it's weird, but I can literally remember when I found out that he had died where I was and because I was so looking forward to this movie I was just so looking forward to it then you kind of hear that kind of like man I, I don't know if you guys you know you know remember that but it, it was just such a huge deal in Hollywood at, at that particular time and you know so much was already being made about his his performance before the film even six months before the film had even hit the screen yeah, I mean, it was tragic, right? It, it hit me harder than a lot. I mean, a lot of these actors pass away every day, and it's just, it doesn't hit me as hard as that one kind of hit me. That was definitely one where I felt it. And so sad that he came out. You know, this is his best performance, I would say, by far, even though I do like a lot of his performances and things like, you know, The Patriot and Knight's Tale and Lighter Fair like that. But... Yeah, he just gave such a great performance in this, and it's so sad he didn't get to live to see the results of what this film would accomplish. Yeah, I, I definitely remember hearing about this. I remember kind of the situation, you know, where I was at. And I think I think one reason it hit so hard for so many movie fans is every generation, I think, has kind of their A-list talent, their best actors. And the previous generation had already lost River Phoenix. So they, mm -hmm. that, they were, and then you lose Heath Ledger and there's another hole and there's only so many great actors as we've kind of discovered <laughs> where all the great yeah. actors, they just don't, you know, you just can't grow them on trees. So it's, it's almost like we've lost. We just have one less great movie star that we could have had. And we already don't have that many to begin with right now. So I think that's where 
And it's almost become more apparent as time has passed. It's like, yeah, it was a big deal then, but as time has passed, I think if you really start looking into it, you're like, wow, that that really was a a it's it left it's left a hole, I think, within the movie industry for this generation for sure. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, but you can kind of understand in a way of of how it happens because you have the you know the method actors you have the people that are extremely dedicated to their role there was a lot of negative press whenever he was cast as the joker you know every there was i mean i i was at at first like what is going on i can't believe they're they're they've cast him and just a lot of of people speaking out against it and you know nolan just stood firm i heard that in order to so he was already he was putting a lot of pressure on himself i'm sure to really deliver the performance there's a famous story about him three weeks or so he would locked himself into a hotel room and he just tried out all these voices and he kept trying to take himself to very dark places you know after doing all that to kind of train himself into being this maniacal character he started having trouble sleeping and, and, you know, it was wound up being a, a overdose of a combination of, of different types of, of drugs and somewhere to help him sleep. And, yeah, it's kind of that kind of got the I almost feel like that pressure that he was putting on himself to deliver really got the snowball rolling for what ultimately happened to him. Yeah. And I would just say I've read different things about this, too. And I think for a long time, the assumption was that he had gotten too into his character that he went to method that like he was becoming the Joker mm-hmm. and too crazy. But I've read a lot of stuff around that, that people are like, no, he wasn't really that method at all. And he was having fun on the set. He was into the character and he just was having trouble sleeping as a lot of people do. Yeah. And yeah. there could have been some after effects of the character. I'm sure there was, but it wasn't like he was becoming the Joker. So I just found that interesting that I think, like I said, there there was that kind of assumption at first, but now people are like, no, no. People are probably trying to create a little bit of a, a myth around yeah. it. Yeah, the urban legend is sometimes greater than the actual right. actuality, but I, I don't know. We'll never know, really. I mean, people have problems all the time and die untimely deaths, and that's just an unfortunate part of it. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know if those, I mean, how there are plenty of, you know, method character actors out there who have played dark roles and have just been fine. So who knows? I mean, it could have been affecting him mentally, but I don't think we'll ever know. Right. No, that's that's a good point. I, I, I again, think a lot of the I think he probably put immense pressure on himself to to deliver. Daniel Craig has often talked about the, you know, the pressures of of playing James Bond, and he was heavily scrutinized whenever he was cast and stuff. So obviously he didn't. He's still going, but I'm just saying that's I think sometimes, you know, the the pressure leads you to, you know, turning to other substances and and things of that nature. Yeah, I think it's extreme pressure, right? I mean, that's part of the reason why they went with Ledger in the first place was to go in a different direction from Nicholson because he had kind of cemented himself there on that first Batman movie. What about other characters uh, in the film or other portrayal? Anything else really stick out uh, for you guys uh, about any of the actors, any of the characters that that you want to talk about? Yeah, I'll um, step in and say Commissioner Gordon. Uh, Gary Oldman, I think, plays Mm -hmm. a fantastic Mm -hmm. Gordon. And I think I mean, I don't think there's been a better one in my 
opinion. I just think he's great in that role, and I think he kind of is a pivotal piece. I mean, there's great acting across the board. I'm sure we can go and bounce off of about everyone in this film. I don't think there's really a bad performance, but I think Oldman definitely puts a stamp on it and provides a solid piece to the movie. Yep, I agree. I think he is he is key to the film working. And another key component, I think, is Michael Caine. I think he is he plays Alfred so well opposed to Christian Bell's Bruce Wayne. It's just like they they mix and they jive extremely well during their scenes together. In a different Alfred than we're used to seeing, right? And it's uh, a moment you got Kane there with that legacy of like the crime movies that he's been in all the way back to you know the seventies and eighties. But yeah, I think it's a very different Alfred. What do you guys? What are your take on that? Like as far as comparing it to the other Alfreds we have, who are maybe more of a a meek, older looking butler or anything. Of course, Michael Caine's a great actor. Love him in general. And I think he's really good in this, but he does cry a lot. I've noticed he <laughs> cries a lot. In this but uh, he's really good. And he's totally different than the original Alfred. Uh, I think that was played by the great Michael, uh, I think it's Gal. How do you say his name? I'm yep. not sure. Yep. But yeah, so great actor in himself, but totally different. I don't think they've really hit on a great Alfred since then, even though we, they've had good actors playing him in Jeremy Irons and Andy Serkis. I think you could definitely argue this is the best Alfred, either him or the original. And I think it really just adds a, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just a really class act to the whole proceeding with, mm-hmm. you know, Christian Bell. You know, Michael Hayden is just a class actor. It's a great actor. And it really kind of just, cements that kind of bond between the two so yeah i think it's a great pairing and there's some other actors well do you guys have any other thoughts on that there's there's some other actors i want to call out too well i was just going to say that i i think what i like about the character so much is that while there's always chaos going on around the the film you know around christian bell as batman and as bruce wayne and he's just like this anchor that kind of pulls again the realism back together and he just bestows wisdom it's like i always think of wisdom every time that you know he speaks you know the story that he tells i love the story where he's talking about the thief you know with the diamond and you know they he was just collecting these tangerine size diamonds they thought he was paying off but yet he was still you know doing these terrible things and he just says some men just want to watch the world burn and it's just yeah, such a great story, and it's it just I just feel like every scene that he is in in the Dark Knight, he just moves the story forward, provides new direction for Batman, for Bruce Wayne, and just kind of helps to kind of hold really Bruce up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great call out with with Alfred, and just some others I want to call out is so first it has a great like supporting cast of just like background actors. Mm-hmm. You know, this mm-hmm. movie I don't think do as well now. They used to do it better. Is just, you know, put a lo- bunch of character actors in these roles and kind of just, you just want faces. You just want some interesting looks to people. I think this movie does a really good job, whether it's the, the gangs, the cops, you know, Joker's crew. Everybody just looks interesting, has kind of an interesting look, interesting things about them. So I really like that. Uh, Eric Roberts shows up. You know, yep. that was interesting, I thought. I like Eric Roberts. Uh, Morgan Freeman is great. 
you, know, you always love to see Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox. He's kind of uh, underwritten in a lot of ways, but it's great to have him. And then, I, you know, I really like Christian Bell as Batman. I know there is definitely those – it's definitely in hot dispute who is the best Batman. So I think you could, we could all have our different opinions about that. The thing about Christian Bell that I find interesting in his performance is his Batman is not the best, I don't think. But I think he's the best at playing Bruce, Bruce Wayne. There, yeah. yeah. No, mm-hmm. I like Bob, that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, his Batman maybe needs some work. That voice is definitely a little strange. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really... It, but, it, it was distracting even the first time I watched it. Yeah, and now by the third one, it is like an alien voice, a robot voice. It is really weird. <laughs> but, like, him and Bruce Wayne is phenomenal. It is so good. And Christian Bell, I just think, is arguably... You know, the best actor, one of the best actors in Hollywood. And so I just love him as Bruce Wayne. He just kind of gives off that, you know, playboy flippant kind of aura about him, even though it's all a facade. Yeah. I think Michael Keaton is probably the best in the suit. I, I think he plays Batman the best. And I, I'll, I'll say I, I think Christian Bell is definitely better as as Bruce Wayne. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't know if you think Michael Keaton's the best in the suit, but he is to me. Uh, no, probably George Clooney. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, freeze. I'm, I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you. That, that would be my ranking too. Trey, what about you? Um, yeah, I do like Keaton a lot. I, it's funny because I think there was a lot of potential for a, you know, a grumpy old bat flack, or Batfleck um, <laughs> later in the series, but I just don't think it came to fruition like it should have. But yeah, I, I love Michael Keaton. And I think he did an excellent job in those first two Batman movies. So yeah, that's that's who I would go with as well. Well, I know one of the things that, that Trey was going to talk about while we're talking about the cast and the characters and stuff was uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, which in my opinion has a great performance. However, we had the same character played by Katie Holmes in Batman Begins, and then it was recast. People say Katie Holmes was was busy. It was also kind of during her whole kind of weird thing going on with Tom Cruise, I believe. And <laughs> anyway, so Trey, what do you want to talk about w- with with those two? Yeah, and I think that's the story I heard. Wes is like she was um, already committed to do another movie that was going to release that year, so. Uh, apparently she didn't want to do that, but maybe she was being held hostage by Tom. We don't know. Um, <laughs> well, here, no, here's the thing. I don't buy that because it'd be like, yeah, I got this other movie. What other movie? Could yeah. Be, hey, that, <laughs> I mean, how would you not drop everything to be in a dark night? Like, I just don't understand. Yeah. No, it's, I'm with you hundred percent. And then there's the Tom Cruise aspect. Yeah. I don't know what it is. You know what I think it is? <laughs> I think Christopher Nolan just fired him. I don't think that and that's kind of what I've heard that Christopher Nolan didn't love her performance in the first one. My gut instinct tells me that he just did not want her back. But sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, to your point, I don't even think I I saw the movie earlier. I can't even remember the name of the movie. And I don't think I had heard of it before. So, uh, yeah, that's a little suspicious. But my main point I want to make, and I'm not really a huge fan of either of um, Maggie Hall or Katie Holmes in general. But I think it's always jarring when you have a character just be swapped out in a sequel without any explanation, anything like that. I mean, it happens several times. Uh, you talk about what was that Iron Man um, 
yeah. Iron Man 2 with Terrence Howard. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so weird and jarring. There are so many love interests and characters throughout Batman's history. Why not or just make a new character? I mean, why do we have to continue this if we're not going to get the same actor? And I don't know, maybe it's something Nolan had, but it's always been something that bugs me when you watch one movie and then in the next movie you're going to have a completely different cast member. I'm I'm with you 100%. It always drives me crazy. And I'm not I'm not a Katie, Katie Holmes fan. I didn't think she was very good in the, in the in Batman Begins, but and wow. and maybe yeah, she is. And maybe Christopher Nolan didn't think because the character has to be much more dramatic in in several roles. Obviously, you know, the character dies in the film and he just didn't think she'd be able to handle it, but at the same point in time it is it is jarring. I, I hate when they do those those character swaps. And to your point, Trey, you you could just write her out, or you know, she's doing something else, or let her make a cameo. I don't I don't know, but yeah, I think maybe yeah. even a, a new character would have been <laughs> would have been fine. I agree with you guys. I do I do also find you know, you don't want it to be one actor and then a different. But in this movie, I don't really mind. I guess I just don't even like think that, about it honestly a lot that they're like the same character. I don't care. You know, just registered. <laughs> She just doesn't even register from that first one. Even though she has a huge role in the movie, her performance is just so flat. And I don't know. And so when it's Maggie Gyllenhaal in the second one, I was always just like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Well, well, I think, honestly, and I'm I'm struggling to think of a Katie Holmes movie that I enjoy. But honestly, the biggest thing is... Batman Begins. Well, no, I meant her performance. Sorry, not a movie. Oh, Um, The Gift. I was gonna be like, Trey, there's one. It's just one. It's that one. Yeah, it's the gift. <laughs> and and you know, I know why. We're not gonna say the audience. You guys can figure that one out on your own. But I I, I know <laughs> you like the gift. Yeah, but um, well, I, the weird, well, yeah, the other yeah, weird I, thing is, you're getting me off topic. Yeah, you're going to talk. Sam Raimi. Yeah, he was gonna say Sam Raimi movie. It's because yeah. it's Sam Raimi movie. Yep. That, that's that's why. Yeah, that's why you like it because it's Sam Raimi. <laughs> Go exactly. Ahead, Sorry. But no, no, I was just going to say the other weird thing is I think in Begins isn't um, isn't Katie Holmes referred to as Rachel Dolls. And I don't even know if I think they dropped the dolls in The Dark Knight. I don't know if they ever refer to her as Rachel Dolls again. I'm not sure. But yeah, that's just always been something that's weird. But I, I think you're right, T-Man. I mean, if you I've watched The Dark Knight a lot more than I've watched Batman Begins. So I, I kind of just don't think about it. But if you're putting it all in context, it kind of feels a little weird. For sure. For sure. All right. I think it's time to get into just best scenes and definitely need to talk about the scenes of the movie that really stood out to you. And of course, that's a that can be a whole conversation in itself. But Trey, you're our guest. Why don't you what was your what's your favorite scene uh, of the movie? And if you have a couple, let's let's talk about. them. Yeah. And most of it honestly, like revolves around. The Joker, I'm thinking of two scenes in particular. One is when he's first meeting with the criminals there, you know, the scene with the pencil and he mm-hmm. makes it disappear. And that I love that scene when they're all when they're gathered around the table, he comes in, basically insults them, doesn't care. You know, he walks out slowly with his finger on the on the grenade pin. Mm-hmm. I I love that one. I've always loved that one. And then um, another one I'm thinking about is just that sequence when and it maybe goes into two scenes thinking about one that maybe doesn't necessarily revolve around the Joker is when, you know, commissioner, uh, commissioner Gordon shows back up and he's, you know, he's not dead anymore. And then you have the scene where he shows up back to his wife and (laughs) 
I I like that little sequence as well. Oh, where she smack? Yeah, she smacks yeah, him yeah. and then immediately hugs him. <laughs> it it yeah. seems like such a realistic, like what a reaction would be, um, a little bit as well. So no, I like that. But I do want to talk about uh, on the first scene that that you mentioned because yeah, it's the summer of two thousand eight, and T man, I can't, I believe you were there. But anyway, we we got a big group of friends. We were all looking forward to going to see this movie. We got there super early. We were the 20th people in line and it was showing on, you know, many screens. And I don't, there was five or six of us. We brought chairs. We brought a football. Um, there was a dude there dressed up, you know, like the Joker. And it was just a great time. We had an awesome time. It was summer. It was warm. And we're just all getting ready for this movie. Movie opens. You've got the great kind of bank heist, you know, when we're joker Mm -hmm. reveals himself from underneath the mask and then you get that little subtle joke you know where the bomb it's just a smoke bomb it's not an actual bomb goes off that kind of sets the stage as the joker but Mm -hmm. where i felt like the audience really started to buy that this is going to be a great film and a great performance is that scene where he meets with the criminals and the reaction of our theater whenever he makes the pencil disappear it was just amazing. I just, I still remember mm-hmm. that. That is one of my takeaways from the very first time that I saw it is just the audience reaction was just, you know, like, like shocked. It was, it was funny. It was, you know, sh- uh, just amazing, just introduction. And I, yeah, that, I don't know what it is about that, that scene, but everybody just loved it um, in the theater where we originally saw the film. Yeah, and you brought me back there with standing in line to get it. <laughs> you're, you guys remember that? You guys remember when movies actually sold out? Yeah. When, when they premiered? But um, no, I love that scene. It's it absolutely, you're right. It sets the tone. Well, I mean, there's so many that it's hard to pin down just one. If I would say, okay, you're like, what is the best scene in The Dark Knight? I think it has to be the sequence that's kind of, that's like the last two thirds of the movie the 18 wheeler chase yeah the the rocket launcher the mm-hmm. you know the gun the, i mean it's all of it that is the scene that scene from the trailer it flips over it's all practical effects everybody loves it it's it's got that great dichotomy that when scenes are like so good where you know you've got the action and you're like it's suspense but then you've got nikki calf character who's like doing those comedic lies what does he say he's like that guy got a rocket launcher. (laughs) Those scenes are always so good when you can balance that comic aspect to it. And so, I mean, that scene is just as good as it gets. I mean, that is like the apex of blockbuster filming. Yep. You can put that scene up against any scene, I think in blockbuster movie making, and it would be right there at the top. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, he's an 18-wheeler when they're kind of below ground. You know, they they set up the diversion to force them to go below ground so, you know, the Joker can start his attack. And I love how he pulls up in that in that truck, and it's supposed to say laughter, and then he's got spray-painted the S on it, so it says slaughter. And, yeah. you know, yeah. he opens up the door, and it's just... I love the way throughout the whole film, the Joker is, is so, like, menacing... He also keeps doing like these little things where it still keeps with the Joker character, like right, right. from a he's comic like, book. He's just not, and that's where I would think they would get it wrong now. Like, 
Mm-hmm. Hollywood took the wrong idea, and I want to talk about that too. But they took the wrong idea from this movie, where they had to make everything dark and gritty. Yeah. You know, remember that was a whole thing for the longest time. Let's make our reboot gritty and dark, just like The Dark Knight. Well, yeah. <laughs> the Joker is that, but he also also has those comedic elements, like you're saying, Wes. He's he's funny. He's he, you know, he's where's my phone and, call? I want my yeah. phone call. I just yeah, I just want my yeah. phone call. He's like. <laughs> What did he say with when like Batman's coming? He's like, hit me, hit me, or I can't even remember now. He's like, yeah, I want you, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in you know when he slides that door open, I love how he starts with like the smallest. He just starts with small guns, and he's just like he keeps right. yes. shooting it at the at the you know the the, the carrier the the police van that that is has got um, Harvey Dent in it. Right. That's what I'm talking about. That scene has that. It's like a, th- a perfect thriller scene, but it has that those moments of levity that like allows the, the audience to take a breath and laugh. If a movie can do those two things, I always think a horror movie is at its best when it can do that too. Mm-hmm. Like it's like raising up the tension, tension, tension. But then there's nothing better when there's like that moment of levity. And, you know, the whole audience can, like, laugh together. That, that mm-hmm. scene does it good as any scene. Yeah, it's none of his stuff are is super on the nose, you know, like Joker jokes. You know, it's it's all, I don't, it's, it's like not dry necessarily, humor. yeah, it's very dry, but it's, uh, but it, it's just perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know, we already talked about, like, the, the fake smoke bomb or, or the smoke bomb versus the actual bomb. And then, you know, him taking turns with the guns and, you know, I, I just want my phone call. You know, that <laughs> just the, the things like that that are throughout. Um, uh, what else, team? And what's another scene that, that sticks out to you? I think that that whole action sequence there is I know when I rewatch the movie, it's kind of like I it's almost like one of those scenes where I kind of rub my hands together and settle down in my seat a little bit. It's like I'm in, I'm still to this day, like anticipate that whole that whole sequence mm-hmm. um, that starts. It's so good, and you know what? You know what they even could have done is if, you know, they would have done this 10 years later. They would have done, like, the Dark Knight Part 1 and Dark Knight Part 2 and filmed it at the same time, and they, they could have ended the movie literally when the when the Joker escapes and he's, like, hanging his head out the door like yeah. a dog. Yeah. And, like, wouldn't that just be a perfect last shot of a movie? That, that's really where it could end, honestly, because the, the Joker has accomplished it. He's Mass chaos. He's won. Yep. And then it does have that final third. I know he's got to turn Harvey into a, uh, you know, demented, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, crazy person. But anyway, other scenes that I really like, like I said, that that one is absolutely the tops for me. Uh, I really do like <laughs> the hospital scene where, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then Harvey is like, Harvey <laughs> gives him the gun. And there's, of course, that really funny meme going around where people are like, how's he know he's not the Joker until <laughs> yeah. he takes the mask off? <laughs> if anybody hasn't looked up that, that meme, please look it up. It is really funny. Oh, I love that so much. It's like, how does Harvey Dent not know that's the Joker until he takes his mask off? Because <laughs> when he takes his mask off, then he starts like shaking in the seat. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm sorry, in this hospital bed, like, oh, I'm going to get you. But he, he didn't know until the mask came off. 
Well, right, right. And that's the scene where he says, like, and everybody loses their minds, too, right? Yeah, it's like you, you blow up one little, yeah, what is it? You blow up something. Everybody loses their minds. Yeah, and then him walking away, of course, from the hospital and the with the detonator and everything is, is great at the end of that. Oh, that's awesome. And apparently that was all improvised. So apparently it really did have a little bit of a delay. Right, and, yes. And but Heath Ledger's reaction where he's just kind of throwing his hands up and all that was was really how it was. And they they, you know, obviously loved it. And of course, you set up uh, pyrotechnics like that and really blow up a building. And and that's uh, you, you got to keep the stuff in. <laughs> that's probably expensive yeah. to set that up. That was a real abandoned building uh, right. that they they really demolished. And all they had to do was go on and it already looked very much like a hospital. And so they just had to go in and, you know, put a little bit of stuff saying it was Gotham City Hospital or Gotham Hospital or whatever uh, it says. But that was kind of interesting, too, that that was set. That building was set for demolition. So they just blew it up for the film. Right. I've read that, too. That is really cool that he had to kind of improvise that delay, which just shows you, you know, he's such a good actor if you can do that. Yeah, stayed in character and, and, you know, made it funny and, yeah, it worked out perfect. For sure, for sure. I also really like, I know we've already talked about it, the opening sequence is is awesome. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, the heist. That first, right, that first shot, opening shot of kind of the slow zoom in to the building is so good. And then just kind of the, the <laughs> each one killing each other joke. Yeah, as they get picked off, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. And then you've got, you know, the bank man be like, you, you don't know who you're stealing from. You know, you know, you've got a good movie. I feel like when there's a line like that, you don't know who you're stealing from. <laughs> I want to like, I want to be in a situation where if I like rob a bank or something, somebody says that to me. Oh, man, you don't know who you're stealing from. Like, who gives a <laughs> shit? You're stealing from somebody. So it's like you're already re- willing to take that risk. Like, does it really matter who it is? Anyway. <laughs> it's like it's yeah somebody's gonna get me or the cops are gonna get me like i mean i could potentially get caught i know that going into to robbing something that that's the consequences <laughs> of robbing Absolutely. Yeah. so oh, i was gonna say then you get the uh the line in there of him like saying no 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 i'm supposed to kill the bus driver which is great <laughs> yeah, yeah oh yeah that is really good really good so I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. So I kind of go back and forth on the ending of the movie. Not the very end, which, of course, is phenomenal, but kind of the last third, not even the last third, like just the last 25 minutes where it's the two, two fairies and then Harvey going around and killing people. Like, do you all really like that ending? Do you think it's, like, too much? What are so- your thoughts? Yeah, so this last time around, and, you know, the first several times I watched this, I don't think it bothered me as much, but I think as I go on and as I continue watching it over and over, I think that is my least favorite sequence of the movie. Um, I don't think it's bad by any means. I think that's just the part that gets the most old of any of the other stuff. Um, Maybe that's just me, but I think that's the least interesting of the kind of scenarios the Joker sets up. Right. Yeah, he's he's much more interesting as Harvey Dent. Once he becomes Two Face, and I, still to this day, I'm not exactly really thrilled with the look that they wound up going with for 
for Two Face. It's almost it was almost too much, I guess. Uh, and since the movie yeah. was set so much in realism, I think they could have toned it back just a little bit. Um, I did like how you know he was, you know, he had the suit on whenever he's kidnapped. Um, he does lay down in the gas, so you do get the melted part of the suit along, mm-hmm. you know, with the face. But I just wish he looked unrealistic, and the rest of the movie, for the most part, is the way that it is. They they were really going for a lot of realism, and I think they took it a notch too far. And I, I as the movie is aged, the motivations of Harvey of of who he was. And how unwavering he was and how he was a superstar district attorney to literally because his fiance was kidnapped and killed, which he knew the consequences of as a DA of all of his actions, like what it could lead to and the the harm that his loved ones could be in that he him losing her, he's going to immediately become basically a serial killer for a, a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. without that, <laughs> oh, it becomes a crazy person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they they get their Anakin Skywalker moment there, right? You know, you were yeah. the best of us. <laughs> <laughs> they, they no, really no. But do you guys think that maybe that was? You think it's just the case of like too much being thrown in a movie? Maybe they didn't know if they were going to get a chance for a third one. They wanted to get the Two Face part in there, or do you think um, it fits in general? It's just a little bit jarring at the end. I almost could. I almost wish they would have. And T Man knows I'm not a. I'm not a very big fan of the, the Dark Knight Rises. I've tried to like it. I actually, the first time I watched it, I liked it the most that I've liked it. And it's just every time I've seen it since then, I like it a little less and a little less. To where I'm just not a really big fan of the movie. But I would have loved to see like them it. do what now. You better learn like it's 2022 is going to be all Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Every episode, and there may only be 12 of them the whole year, but every episode will be dedicated to the Dark Knight Rises in 2023. Do a scene per episode. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) There we go. Yes, I love it. But, uh, yeah, I almost would rather them perhaps have carried on Two-Face into a third film and not have him, you know, Harvey Harvey die. Uh, But I do understand, again— we go back to the whole theme of the movie, the consequences of what they were doing. And, you know, Nolan wanted ultimately for the goodwill of people to win out. And so that whole, I'm not for sure how else he could have done it, but with the whole two boats versus one another, it just seemed to me like maybe the Joker would have done a little bit something different. And again, I, I think you're probably both in agreement. We're more just nitpicking a, a little bit. Like we we yeah. all love the yeah. movie, but I do feel that that those sequences in there are definitely weaker parts after uh, after the, the the big scene where they're yes. trying to kill Harvey. Yeah, I think the issue is to your point is that they're they're all good scenes. I think the movie is, has been on such a high octane for so long. It's really hard to sustain that with an audience for two and a half hours. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I think by the end of the movie, you're kind of exhausted in that the the fairy sequence kind of is just like even more up tempo and like music is nonstop. So I think that's that's another issue. 
But like you said, it's not bad, and it's still really good, and I still really enjoy it. I just, it is interesting to think about would there be another way to end it? I'm just not sure. But here's yeah. the other thing I've thought about, kind of in that same vein, is, and I don't know if anybody, if you all know the answer to this, is would the Joker have come back in the third one if Heath Ledger hadn't have died? In other words, with him dying, did it kind of throw a wrench into what they were ultimately going to do? Because I think he definitely would have been back. And I think without yeah. him, you can definitely feel the absence in the third one. I love Bane as a character, but he doesn't have he's not the Joker. So it's like no. they're definitely trying to struggle without this iconic bad guy, which it was set up perfectly to have him in the next one. So it is, that's just another reason why, and this is obviously very low on the reason, but just another reason why it's sad that that he died. Well, they, they had talked about, I believe, I believe Christopher Nolan actually had talked about it is they, some of the ideas they went ahead and had ironed out, you know, for a, a trilogy as they were making the second one. And they had talked about potentially having a, a, scene of the joker in in prison again because that's that's where you assume that he goes you know as he's hanging upside down and just like he brought back scarecrow um in both sequels we see him again i think it was probably not planned to bring the scarecrow back one more time for dark knight rises and that that cameo probably would have went to heath ledger's joker in Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I mean, listen, I like Dark Knight Rises. Um, I don't like it as much as this movie. But I think Bane's an interesting choice if you're trying to live in that gritty, realistic world, right? Um, as far as, like, who Bane is outside of that movie. I, I don't know if it would have been a good idea to have the Joker back had Heath Ledger not passed away. Um, I think that's almost like trying to catch lightning in a bottle, um, a second time is, uh, but yeah, a little cameo that would have been nice to get some kind of closure or like Batman or he's connected to something and maybe Batman's interrogating him or something and in prison. Um, I could have been down for that. No, that's a good point. It's, it is hard to, to, to do that twice. And everybody of course would be anticipating. And again, if he would have lived, we would have been anticipating that cameo. Chances are it would have been a been a letdown. Well, I, here's the thing, though. I don't think they could have. And who knows how the Dark Knight would have been received if he had survived. I think some of it because of he died. But I don't know. It, if it would have been as – if the Dark Knight is as big as it was with him alive, I don't think they could have done a third one without Heath Ledger playing at least somewhat of a major role. And that yeah. could have been like yeah. – Yeah, last yeah you're probably right. Probably right. I don't think the studios, I don't think the fans, like the fans would be like, God, ape shit. Um, so I think it, it's definitely something we can always look back on and say, you know, what could have been. But to your point, Trey, I agree. I think Bane does an admirable job. I love him as a character to try to replicate, you know, something that that the Joker brought to this movie. So those are just a couple of thoughts I had. As far as other favorite scenes, I feel like we got them all. Is there, are there any others that you guys really like or want to talk the one about? Other, one other little moment that I like is when he just sets the money on fire, you know, when the other mob guy comes in <laughs> and he's like, why well, burn my half or whatever he says to him. I um, I like that. That's just more of a little moment than a full-blown 
scene or anything. Yeah, another kind of that that draw just it's it's funny and he, his reaction where he kind of opens his mouth and I think his cigar falls out and you know he yeah. says all you think about is money. What the question I was going to ask you guys um real quick is since 2008 has there been another character as iconic as Heath Ledger's Joker. And I'm not talking about like the whole thing with him dying and all that. I'm just talking about the impact of the character. Has there been another single character that has had a bigger impact in film since this came out? Hmm. Tough one. Yeah. Um, And while y'all are thinking about it, the reason I thought of that question is because, I mean, I think it was, I think it was, Puff Daddy or P Diddy or whatever he he still go goes by. I mean, this Halloween he literally spent a bunch of money to to turn himself into, you know, the Joker, and it looks re- actually looks really good. He did a really good job with the costume, and we're still all these years later. And, and it's not Jack Nicholson's Joker. It's not a comic book version of the Joker. It's none of that. It's literally Heath Ledger's Joker. I mean, that's what he went for and that got me thinking i was like is there really been a character as iconic as as him through since since that movie came out in 2008 i definitely don't so no not off the top of my head i'm really trying to think of every character that's kind of been major (laughs) it's sad right it's sad because all i'm thinking about are are comic book movies because those are exactly (laughs) Yeah, that's where my head's going too. But I no, I I don't think so. Off the top of my head, what I'm thinking of, I I can't think of one. I mean, there's been great characters. Um, I, when did um, Javier Bardem from No Country from Old Men was pretty good, but I don't know if that matches up. Think, to... Yeah, that's right. That's what I was thinking of, and that is oh, that's the same year yeah. I think. Later that year. Yeah, is it oh eight or oh seven? Oh, it might be 07. You might yeah, I think right. it's yeah, I think it's 2007 because it, it came 2007. out. Okay. Yeah, it came out the year after There Will Be Blood in The Departed. Okay. Yeah, so that's the only thing I can think of. I think Heath Ledger's Joker, and it's weird. I don't think there's a character in any comic book movie that could stack up to him, but I think he's there with you know when you go to Planet Hollywood and you see the the um the characters there like the Terminator and everything like that, or um Marlon Brando as you know, Don Corleone, I think he's right up there with those type of characters. I think no, so, too. I, I agree. I agree. It's and well, so does that. Well, I'm trying. I'm just trying to think. I'm just throwing out some names here. And I I don't believe this, but it's just to create more conversation. I mean, if you're talking about the last 14 years of like major characters that have like made an impression, I mean, is Thanos in the running? I mean, he's got to be because he's in, you know, those those. Avengers movies are so huge. Yeah. I don't think he leaves the impression that the Joker, but that's in the ballpark, but still really not in the ballpark, you know? That, yeah, I think it's a different type of thing, right? Because he's pivotal to those movies, and the movies that he are he's in are, I think, are the two best Marvel movies, hands down. But I don't think he controls and drags the movie along as much as Heath Ledger did. I think... It's much more of ensemble in those ones, and there's so many characters on screen. Where if you're thinking of The Dark Knight, the first thing you're thinking of is Heath Ledger, and I don't. I mean, without Heath Ledger, I think that movie maybe falls apart. It's not as good. Right. Absolutely. No. You're you're 
absolutely right. What I mean, are there any movies like Oscar worthy movies that have like iconic film roles? Man, we've we've had a really bad uh past decade, I feel like, in movies. It's been a weird decade. Um yeah. from studio <laughs> standpoint at least. Yeah. It, it seems like the things that are winning at the Oscars every year are usually stuff a lot of the majority of people aren't seeing unless they're trying to see Oscar movies. Right. They're they're not being seen and then they're instantly forgettable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're a long way from Gladiator being up for best picture, right? Yeah. Nobody (laughs) can name what's winning anymore. Uh, Yeah. This has just made me depressed that we've had a miserable last 14 years in movies, I feel like, at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think, I feel like at the time, and I get back to this again, like when this came out in 2008, I feel like there were a ton of good, memorable comedies around that time. And I don't think we've had that really in the last 15 years, maybe we haven't had very many standout straight ahead comedy movies. Yeah. I think they're all blended with other genres. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not the, you know, the hangover is probably one of the last ones that was like a big iconic comedy film that was just strictly that and super bad. And, um, there was a lot of that kind of old school stuff. Yes. Around that same time. But, I don't think there is one. Okay. Well, I mean, that's what I was thinking too, but you know, I was like, well, let me ask these guys, they're movie buffs as well. So let's see if they can, they can pull someone out, but you know, obviously, you know, you can iron man, of course, Robert Downey jr. That really like that, that character was made more so after that, that first film. Mm -hmm. I know he's a, a, he's a a character from, you know, a long time ago in comic books, I'm just saying his performance as uh, Tony Stark, you know, that one kind of came to mind for me a little bit. But, you know, your your Spider-Man's, Captain America's, your, you know, these your Superman's, you know, all these, they were already big iconic figures from comic books over the years. Yeah, and, and I want to... Oh, go ahead, boy, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, in The Joker is two... But again, when kids are out dressing up like Spider-Man and Captain America and stuff like that, they're not dressing up like just Chris Evans or, you know, Tobey Maguire or just Tom Holland. You know, it's more the character itself. I feel like when people are dressing up like the Joker— they're dressing up as Heath Ledger's Joker, and then they're trying to do the voice and the mannerisms and everything of the character. So that's why I think it's the most iconic, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes well, perfect here's sense. Here's the thing. I disagree with that, Wes. No, I think you got it wrong. Okay. I've seen a lot of Jared Leto. <laughs> that's the one. I feel like that's the one that's really rising. I think that's the one that people are dressed up as. A lot harder to pull off, too. Oh, <laughs> Lord. It is truly awful. No, uh, uh, to get back to your question, Wes, I'm kind of brainstorming as we're going through here. I'm trying to think of stuff outside of those kind of genre offerings. I'm thinking of like Tarantino films, but I, again, I think a lot of those are pulled together by an ensemble. Um, I'm thinking about maybe a movie that matches it with something like um, Fury Road, but I don't think Mad Max is the key figure in that. Right. And what was the, oh, the, other, anything, the only one I can Trey, think I of is. Oh, go ahead. 
that Furiosa is, is iconic. She's getting her own prequel. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good call. I mean, not to the Joker's level, though. It's like, no, there are characters since then. There's been, yeah. but like to his point, the Joker. And I think it helped that the Joker was already an iconic character. It's already a beloved character. And then you merge that with a beloved rendition of that character. And it's just like, you know, the best of both worlds. Yeah. What are, what are you guys' thoughts on John Wick? Yeah, I love John Wick. Uh, that's a that's, call. That's actually, a good, yeah, good point. I think that's in a really... pop culture standpoint, it's good. I don't think his performance was as good. Obviously, it's much more subtle and um, things like that. But as an impact on pop culture, it's pretty big. Yeah, I mean, they're already on the fourth movie coming out. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of the, you know, rare, you know, we talked about earlier. We would like more original, actual genre films. That is an actual genre film. That is a action movie. You know, it's not an mm-hmm. action movie disguised as something else. It is just pure action. And so that's a really good call. Uh, man, Trey comes on here and makes me a West. I'm stupid. <laughs> oh, man. I do that. I'm sorry. I'll go back on mute. <laughs> yeah. All right. I told you to sell me 80% of the time. <laughs> so the, I've, I've been leading y'all to this question as well. And so does this mean that? Do you feel Heath Ledger is his his performance is more iconic, better, however you want to say it, than Jack Nicholson's performance? Yeah, I think so. In short, yeah. Oh yeah, I think yeah. But at this point, absolutely. Okay, and I love Jack Nicholson's performance as a Joker. It's it's funny. It's he gets he goes kind of off the rails. I love him when he's Jack Napier. I love all the you know his is much more you know trying to be on the nose like you know, a funny, goofy, crazy character, you know, that little commercial that they shoot was love that Joker. You know, I love that. <laughs> I love the movie. I love the performance, but it's not, it's not to the iconic level. It, doesn't it have got a 20 year head start, you know? Yeah. It doesn't have the weight that Heath Ledger's performance does. It's a really fun performance, but if we're being honest, it's just Jack Nicholson. Being, <laughs> it's like, hey, do you really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can say that about any of his movies, right? It's just Jack Nicholson being Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, and especially at that point, by that point, it truly yeah. is just Jack being Jack. It, it's not a lot different than, hey, if Al Pacino played the Joker, you know, <laughs> <"Hoo-ah, laughs> the Joker. <laughs> was actually... That was good. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I think curious. the real question though. Wes is, does he top Danny DeVito's Penguin? Uh, I think so. And um, <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't know if Trey's being serious. With I actually like oh, Danny DeVito. I do, I do. I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's pretty good. Like, I, I don't think that Batman Returns gets the, maybe I shouldn't say that. I think Batman Returns along with the Dark Knight are, they're aging very well. I've seen a much larger support over the years now for Batman Returns because of how dark it is. Yeah. And it's becoming a really iconic film. I think he does great as the, I don't know who else you could really get to play the, the penguin that Tim Burton envisioned for that role. It was basically Danny DeVito or no one. No, I agree. I was, I was joking, but I like that movie. But yeah, I mean, once you said, I was like, I almost laughed, and I was like, well, I actually do think that's a really good, <laughs> a really good character. So maybe he's being yeah. serious. 
Well, he's got that black ooze coming out of his mouth. Like, yeah, oh, he's like, just, he drinks a bunch of tar. <laughs> and that is a really good movie. You guys are right. And Michelle Pfeiffer's great in that, too. Oh, so, excellent. Oh, yeah. I think she steals the show in that movie. She's oh, absolutely. Amazing. So those are really good performances, too. They're like kind of, you know, we're kind of picking between A-plus level performances and like A's. Yeah. So, <laughs> A-plus yeah. plus and A-plus. Absolutely. And then you throw in uh, Jim Carrey's performance, which is truly an F. <laughs> yeah, him and him and Tommy Lee Jones are a duo for the ages. Uh, I despise that performance so much. I cannot watch it again. <laughs> Gabe made me watch that movie. And that's why we kicked him off this episode. That's one thing I just want to tell people is the real reason Gabe's not on this episode is because he made us watch Batman forever. So he's banned from talking Batman because yeah. of that. You got banned him because he was really pushing Batman and Robin. He wanted us to watch that. He said it's better than The Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we've talked a lot about the the best scenes and and things. Now I've not really th- thrown mine out, and although I agree, it it it, it could potentially be the 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 scene where Joker first meets the the criminals or. The, the iconic sequence where, you know, they're they're trying to, to, to kill Harvey Dent and that whole setup. But other than that, what really sticks out are I love the stories the Joker tells about how he got the scars. Those are ones that I really like because, yes. you know, he tells it the first time, you know, when the story's, you know, kind of horrific. And, you know, he's like, you know, why so serious? And, you know, cuts you know, cuts the dude's cheek and, you know, like his and all that. And, and then he tells it again and you think he is about to go into like a similar story, but he completely changes it. And so we, we don't know this character, you know, we don't know, know him at all. We don't know his background, nothing. We don't know anything about him. And he, even when he is reliving moments of his, of his life, you, you still don't, it's still not revealed. All we know about him is he is just evil and, and likes chaos. So I love those stories, but we mentioned, you know, uh, the, the funny thing where, uh, two face can't, he doesn't know it's the Joker until he takes the nurse's mask off, which is, is freaking hilarious. But another thing that's, uh, that's kind of funny is I love the scene where Joker, they show up at, Bruce Wayne's party that he throws for Harvey Dent. And then he's like, let her, you know, Batman tells Joker, let her go. And then he drops um, Rachel Dawes or Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, you know, out the window and Batman goes, you know, diving after her. Well, Batman just leaves all of his party guests and everybody with the Joker and his henchmen. And <laughs> we don't know what happened. Like he saves her, and then that's the end of the scene. So, what the heck dead. happened to all the party guests? I think they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> that man has a lot of collateral damage around. Let's be honest here. Yeah, yeah. And, but you, I want to go back to you mentioned those uh, scar scenes, and those are uh, great. I almost forgot about those. But that that why so serious? That's pretty much. I think that's the tagline of the movie, right? And it's on a couple yeah. posters too. So that's. <laughs> Definitely up there for most impact of a scene, him going through those stories. But and I love the party guest. I don't know him smacking his mouth and licking his lips, and and that yep. was yep. that was because of the prosthetics, of course, that was on there. But he he was able to work that in to the to the 
the character nuances um, that that I, I just think just make those scenes so great. So I love those. I love those stories. Um, hey, real quick, no, that, that's a really good scene, Wes. One thing I just realized, and maybe this speaks to your question you just asked us, but we have like spent probably the majority of this episode talking about the Joker. <laughs> we barely mentioned like Batman or. Lucius Fox, or even Harvey Dent, Lucius Fox at all. Yeah, I just think that's interesting, and, and I'm sure people won't mind that. But it's like, if you really think about it, it's like, wow, that's this is the Joker's movie. Yeah, because it's like every scene he's in is the best. It's like the best scenes of of the movie. Even at the heist, you don't even know he's a part of it. But again, the heist at the very beginning is is one of the best, and and again, it turns out he's in that as well. I think I heard somewhere either. I don't know if it was like a joke going around or if it was like a working title for the film, but something about like Joker begins or something after Batman begins. (laughs) So, and it makes sense. I mean, that's the focal point of this movie. I like it. Batman begins. Joker Joker begins. Bane begins. Yeah. Even though they don't really give him his origin story. Uh, They do give Bane his, but yeah. Bane begins opening night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then the the last thing I was going to uh, call out is we've already talked about the phone call. And sorry, again, after you just said that, team, and now I'm going to throw out one more Joker thing. But this is not so much just the scene, but I love how he gets the he, he gets the phone and he's got the, you know, the bomb is inside that dude. They've cut him open and put the bomb inside of him. And just the way whenever the bomb goes off. And it kind of rattles the Joker just a little bit. And he's standing there amongst the rubble and the smoke and everything. And he just kind of starts, I I think he's rolling his neck in it. And it's just like the music, the way it's playing, it's like the evil is now free again. You know? And I just love that, that, that climax to that whole big sequence that starts with the chase and ends with him standing in the smoke and the rubble of the bomb going off at the police station, and he's out. Well, the other like thing with his plan yeah, worked to perfection. Absolutely, that's fantastic. And that last shot of him, like you said, it's very nine eleven esque with the you know building mm-hmm. down behind him, and that's an yep. iconic. Yeah, and the other line in there is like he's saying, you know, I can tell when when someone's a scr- you know where he gets out. He's like, I can tell when someone's a screamer and uh, your friend. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That whole thing leading up to that's great. Yep, man, I love talking about Joker Begins. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there uh, there anything else? I think we're kind of we're we're getting at our our normal episode length here. Is there is there anything else that uh, you guys want to talk about with this film? And if there is, if we've missed anything, you know, feel free to go into it. But I, I think we've we've got the agenda pretty well covered. Yeah, I you know, from my perspective, I'm really trying to rack my this is kind of pathetic. Like as soon as I said that about the Joker, I was halfway joking, but halfway being serious. I was really trying to think. Well, is there anything I want to talk about about Batman or Lucius Fox or anybody else? And I'm like, not really. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) I mean, we get on where we talked about because aside from you know Christian Bale and and Aaron Eckhart and and Heath Ledger, those are really the big main performances of the movie. And the Joker's performances, or Heath Ledger's performance, is, is so much more iconic and better than those other two. He really steals every scene 
that he's in. But we did talk a little bit about, you know, the other characters um, at the beginning. So we did hit on some of those performances. But, yeah, they're just not as, I guess, fun to talk about. Well, but I also think, to your point around those other performances, and you can throw Gary Oldman in there, too, because we did mention him, too. They're also just written that way where they're just more straightforward or – they're just not as outlandish and kind of scene stealing as the Joker. So it's like, even when they're in the scenes with the Joker, it's hard just not to talk about the Joker. So, yeah. But yeah, I think from my vantage point, I think we've covered it really well. The only thing I would say that kind of remaining is that we really covered Christopher Nolan a lot in our Christopher Nolan episode. So I don't think there's a whole lot left to say about him, mm-hmm. but you know, he's one of my favorite directors. And I think this movie right here gave him you know there's the term blank check in hollywood and Mm -hmm. this movie really gave him that blank check it's like it kind of set his career path to that upper 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 echelon of the spielberg of the james cameron of the i don't know how many others there are where he can really do anything he wants to do for the rest of his career and he's pretty much done that and he's also still been successful so this is just that rare movie that kind of sets their director on a path to kind of that highest level of, of Hollywood at the same time. Well, this movie gave us inception because yep. the deal was, and if he would do the dark Knight first, they were going to, you know, he wanted Warner brothers to give him the green light to make this $200 million mind bending movie inception, which I absolutely love inception. So that was able to, Give us that movie, which has another iconic ending, you know, to it. So, um, yeah, we've got this movie to thank for that. And it's amazing that the movie he was doing in between Batman uh, Begins and Joker Begins was um, (laughs) The Prestige. Yeah. So, man, what a run he was on. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. No, good point, Tina. Trey, what about you? Yeah, Anything that we didn't talk about? Oh, I'm sorry, T-Man. I thought you were. Well, I was just going to say, I think I, I'm covered, and uh, I'm real glad we were able to talk about this one because I agree. I think I didn't say this earlier, but there really is no other movie that should have won the summer blockbuster series for this decade other than this one. Right. Right. Yep. Trey, what about you? Anything, anything else with the film that we need to hit on? I don't think so. I think we covered pretty much everything and pretty much all the main major scenes in this and moments, so think I'm good. Well, in that case, because I'm, you know, I've said my piece as well on it. Trey, won't you tell us again a little bit of, uh, more about your podcast and then where, where can people find you? Where can people listen to more of your work? Yeah. So I um, host a pretty much most of the time, a solo cast called Screaming Through the Ages, where I go into different history topics surrounding the horror industry or, you know, different movies that are kind of close. Like Hitchcock's not exactly horror, but Uh, something around the horror genre and yeah i put that out every other week usually and just go into topics there you can find that wherever you get any of your podcast it's pretty much everywhere and i'm also on a show with um dave becker and nathan bartlebaugh called phantom video where we go into physical media releases and all the stuff around there and you can find that one on the phantom galaxy feed Okay. Yep. And that's, we love those guys. Hey, yeah. Nathan was on our last Batman episode we did. He was great. Yeah. 
and we've and we've had Dave on too. So that's awesome. I got to check your podcast out, Trey, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that, Tommy. All right, and I, I guess before we we really wrap this episode up, you know, we did a little bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, where I said that T-Man was going to hopefully tell us a little bit about what he's what he's got planned for our Christmas episode uh, this year, which will be released sometime there in December. So, T-Man, take it away. What, what, what are we going to be doing? Well, you know, we've had some fun holiday episodes in the past, and this year we really wanted to spice things up for Christmas. So I think we're going to bring back our draft episode, oh. and we're going to do Christmas-centric one. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Wes, you're on a two-game winning streak, and we only had two games. So <laughs> uh, are you going to be able to three-peat? I don't know. This is going to be a lot of fun. And basically, I've set the rules where Wes will lose no matter what he picks. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. So it doesn't matter what he picks or who he picks. How I've got the rules figured out, he will lose. So, yeah, this is going to be pretty exciting stuff. So are now – are we going to be able to include cartoons in this? Because some of the most iconic Christmas stuff right. are the cartoons. You know, I don't know. And, you know, I don't know yet. We need to figure out the uh, categories. And maybe it would be fun to, I don't know, throw the categories out for people to vote on. Because there's a, a lot of different ways to do the categories. So, Wes, I think we're going to talk about. But, yeah, I think we're going to have to have some type of animated uh, feature in there for sure. Yeah, and whether, you know, uh, most of them are not necessarily like movie, you know, like Charlie Brown's Christmas or How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You know, they're not full length, but they are staples of the holiday season that, you know, I think we definitely need a, a good animated category in there. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll put it in there for sure. So I'm pretty excited for that. And yeah, look out for it in December. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Well, Trey, again, thank you for joining us. And again, we're going to apologize to you on the air. Sorry, we kind of strung you along, but we, we a little harder for us to get together to do the episodes. But uh, we we really wanted to get to do this episode and wanted you to get to be a part of it. So thanks so much for for coming on. Pleasure to have you. And hopefully we'll get to do it again sometime in the future. And then um, audience, you know, as always, a real talk. We're still going. We're still out there on social media. You know, we would love canceled. to see people have been asking me, were you all canceled? Is that it? Is that what happened to you all? Well, we I kept said, asking no. for it. We, we, <laughs> we're close. I said we got real close, but it yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> uh, don't worry. We will we will either try to get canceled by the end of this year or definitely next year. It's going to happen eventually, I promise. But <laughs> until then, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, now, the Facebook is where we normally kind of keep up with everybody. I love how that uh, group has kind of started to run itself. You know, other people like to post in there, and we encourage that. We like that. So if you're a first-time listener, if you've come over from Trey's show to check us out, we're not as good as Trey's show. But uh, anyway, if you want to hear more Real Talk, you want to interact with us, again, we're on Facebook. Let's just type in Real Talk, a movie podcast. If you want to catch us on Twitter, we're at real, R-E-E-L underscore cast. Um, I'm not going to bother with the Instagram stuff. It just, <laughs> we hadn't posted in there for a while, but it's, again, Real Talk, a movie podcast. And uh, I'm going to I'm gonna end this with the line from the movie. I'm going to say he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight.